Zalmana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting Podcast. Hello there, and thank you for joining me again for episode 62 of the Never Not Knitting Podcast. I'd like to first start out, as I usually do, by announcing the winner of last episode's drawing giveaway. Everyone who left a comment on my blog under the show notes for episode 61 was entered to win a copy of the book My Grandmother's Knitting by Larissa Brown. I picked one commenter at random, and I'm happy to announce that the winner of the book is Mrs. Wit or Wit Knitter 2011 on Ravelry. Congratulations! Mrs. Witt, since I already have your contact information, you'll be hearing from me soon. And to everyone else, thank you for participating. There will be another drawing for you to enter at the end of this episode. So, it's been a couple of weeks now since I recorded last. I hope that everybody listening has had a good knitting month. But I do have to say that it seems like this time of year, with the weather getting warmer, many people begin knitting less, and there's that inevitable lull in the knitting world. Over the years, in fact, I've met many knitters who actually knit seasonally, only in the cooler months. I, on the other hand, have always considered myself hardcore when it comes to summer knitting. As crazy as it may sound, I am one that is just fine with knitting gigantic woolly things in the middle of summer. In fact, one year, a few years back, for the Summer Rev Olympics, I remember toting around an adult-size Angora wool blend sweater on our family vacation in the middle of July. And last year, I was manically knitting all the garments for our Coastal Knits book all summer long, while being very pregnant. Now that's hardcore. And this year is no different. I'm still working on my design projects, and I currently have an adult-size wool cardigan on the needles, even though it's at least 90 degrees outside. I'm either determined, obsessed, or just crazy. It's hard to say. I guess I just feel like I have to plan ahead for sweater season. After all, we have to knit our sweaters in the summer to be able to wear them in the fall, right? At least, that's how I justify it. So, I'm curious to know. Even though the weather is changing for many of us, are you listening still knitting? And if you are, have you switched to small little cotton projects, or will you be joining me poolside this summer with a tall glass of iced tea and a large bulky woolen sweater on the needles? How hardcore of a summer knitter are you? I'd like to know. I'm going to open up a thread on the Never Not Knitting Ravelry group on the topic, so feel free to leave a comment and let me know what your thoughts on summer knitting are. So, aside from my hardcore summer knitting, I did indulge in two very tiny little toy projects. Earlier this month, my husband and I celebrated our, um, 10th wedding anniversary. Yes, I guess I'm that old now. I can't believe it. Where did the time go? I can't believe that I'm old enough to be married 10 years and have a child in school. It's just weird. Anyways, every year around our anniversary, we do a little family gift exchange with the kids. And in this year's gifts, for some reason, I just really wanted to include something hand-knit for my daughter and for my baby boy. 
My daughter has so many hand-knit toys at this point that she can barely keep track of them all, and my son is only six months old, so he doesn't even notice or care, but for some reason it was just still really important for me to do this. So I went ahead and looked through Ravelry, and I decided to knit up a couple of the quirky Rebecca Danger patterns, a tiny little bunny from the pattern Bunny Nuggets, and also a little knitted bird from her pattern called Chubby Chirps. And these ended up being a perfect choice. Not only are these little toys adorable, but they're also really small, use just tiny little scraps of yarn, and really they only took maybe a couple of hours at the most from start to finish for both of them. They were just what I needed. Just perfect. So perfect, in fact, that I even had this little fleeting fantasy of knitting up an entire basketful for my daughter to pass out to all the kids in class on the last day of kindergarten. Now, wouldn't that be just so cute? I would feel like such a proud knitting mommy to do that for her. But like I said, that is in my fantasy knitting life. There's no, there's really no time for that to actually happen in the real world, unfortunately. But anyways, the other day when my daughter did unwrap these little toys for her and her brother, she was super excited. She loves hand-knit toys, which is, of course, very rewarding for me. And when my six-month-old son got a hold of his little bird that I had made for him, he promptly shoved it into his mouth and slobbered all over it, which I will take as a good sign. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you will already know that I absolutely love to knit toys. I have for years. I like that they're tiny. I like how you can sort of mold them to have a certain personality And I love that you can make something that children love to play with just out of yarn. It's a very rewarding thing. And if you haven't tried toy knitting yet, I suggest you do. My sister-in-law used to say that she would never be interested in knitting toys. But then she tried it and changed her mind and discovered that knitting toys is where it's at. It's really, really fun. So I love knitting toys. It's been way too long since I've actually done it, so I was really happy to be able to indulge in these two tiny little projects. Speaking of little projects, another thing that has happened over the past month is the release of our new Coastal Kids patterns. You may have heard me mention this little collection in the last episode, but my friend Hannah Fettig and I just released children's versions of four of the popular sweater designs from our book Coastal Knits. We have a tiny version of my gnarled oak and wildflower cardigans, as well as Hannah's Water's Edge and insanely popular Rocky Coast cardigan. The children's patterns are sold individually as PDF downloads or in print through your local yarn shop. What I think is especially great about these new little patterns are the sizes available. Each design comes in sizes ranging from six months to size 14, So if you like the design, it's a pattern that you can use many times as your child grows older or for multiple children in one family. As I've mentioned before, I think these sweater designs really look great in tiny sizes. And I invite you to check them out for yourself on our website at coastalknits.com slash kids. 
out of the patterns that I designed, which are the Little Oak and Wee Wildflower cardigan, I really like how both of these turned out, but I think that I am especially excited about Little Oak. Like I said before, this is a tiny version of the Gnarled Oak cardigan, which is my favorite of the designs that I did for the book. I knit a little six-month size to fit my son, and I had a sweater knit in a size four to fit my very, very petite six-year-old daughter. And I think that this really proves the versatility for this design. I mean, it's not often that you can find a pattern that will work for a boy and a girl six years apart in age. I probably wouldn't choose to knit this cardigan for an older boy, because I personally think it's a bit feminine looking in the larger sizes, but for a baby boy, it's awfully cute. To make it even more masculine, I chose a rich warm brown colorway from the Becoming Art line, and I have to say, now that it's all done, it's probably one of the most beautiful sweaters I've knit for him to date. I love it so much. The yarn and the pattern worked really, really nicely together. And to see those oak leaves pop out in that glowing brown yarn is gorgeous. And although I had a great time knitting this tiny little sweater for him, trying to get him as a little baby to model the sweater was a different story altogether. Whatever children's photographers out there are getting paid, it is clearly not enough. I tried three different times to get a photo of him in the sweater. Not like I took three pictures, I mean three different days with many, many pictures taken. And out of the hundreds of photos that I took, only a couple turned out to be usable. It was brutal, really. For example, the first time that I put the sweater on him, he was about four months old or so, and immediately he spit up all over it. Like, not just a little bit, like, all over the sweater. It was crazy. So I cleaned him up, I blotted the heck out of the sweater to try to get it all cleaned up, I propped him up, grabbed my camera, and he spit up all over it. Again. It was unreal, I swear. More came out than ever went in. It was the spitting up of the sentry, all over his beautiful new sweater. It was really quite discouraging, actually, and let's just say, there were no usable pictures taken that day, because something tells me that puddles of baby barf on a sweater are probably not going to sell a pattern. Yeah. So the next time I attempted photos, I got a bit smarter, and I enlisted the help of my parents. I took them over to their house with the sweater, and this time I was prepared with a gigantic bib, because I was not going to be caught off guard again. I tried taking photos with him sitting up in a chair by the window, while my poor parents were ridiculously dancing around behind me trying to get him to smile. I think we were all kind of being loud and over-eager to get this picture because because the poor guy seemed awfully confused by the whole thing. He had this really kind of frightened look on his face, and pretty soon, every time I tried to grab the camera, he would start crying. You have no idea how many pictures I have of a baby in a beautiful sweater just sobbing. It is just so sad. 
And something tells me that a picture of a baby crying in a sweater also probably wasn't going to leave the best impression for those interested in making this pattern. (laughs) I think he was just really tired, and he ended up falling asleep at my parents' house that day, and that's when things got really desperate. I was thinking, okay, now I don't want to have to get him in the sweater one more time for pictures. At this point, I was fairly certain that the sweater would either wear out or just be too small before any decent pictures were ever obtained. So then I had the idea that maybe I could get some pictures of him while he was asleep. It seemed like a good idea at the time. I could position him in any way I wanted, and he wouldn't move because he's asleep. And that's kind of a huge plus because babies that age are so wiggly. Most of my pictures were turning out blurry because of it. So, while he was laid out in my parents' bed, sound asleep, my mom and I had fun trying to stage photos. We had gathered some acorns and pine cones for atmosphere and had positioned them around him. And we took tons of pictures this way. And at the time, it seemed like I had hit the photography jackpot. Like, I had just discovered this amazing thing. You just take pictures of babies with pine cones while they're sleeping. It seemed awesome at the time, but when I got home and actually looked at the photos, I don't know, a baby sleeping with pine cones, it looked kind of creepy and really staged and silly, so those pictures were out. So this brings me to photo shoot number three, because up until this point, I only had baby wearing sweater with spit up on it, baby crying in sweater, and baby sleeping in sweater, snuggling with pine cones. Not the best choices. So this time, my husband and I tried a different approach. We took the baby down the street, and our goal this time was to get a photo with tree bark in the background, because we thought that that would go with the theme of the pattern. And also we wanted to somehow hold the baby up so that he was standing, because That way the entire sweater would show, because if he was sitting, it was kind of crumply, and you really couldn't see the design. And for a baby that can't stand on his own, or sit up, or anything on his own, this was not really an easy thing. So my poor little son, now on his third photo shoot, is being carried down the street in his sweater and large bib, And in order to achieve the shot we were looking for, my husband placed him in front of a tree on his feet while holding both of his hands up. But in order to keep the baby steady and to keep himself out of the shot, he's had to awkwardly stand over him with his legs spread really wide. And it was just really ridiculous. I will always laugh as I remember this scene. Here we are on the side of the road. My son in the sweater with this stunned look on his face. My husband looking as awkward as humanly possible standing over him. And me with the camera crouching in front of them, trying to make funny faces at the baby while taking photos at the same time. And mind you, we were on the side of the road with neighbors looking at us and cars going by. It must have been a sight to see. But at that point, I really didn't care. It was the third try, and I was desperate to get a photo. And the good news is, I did, but just barely. Out of the many, many photos taken that day, I managed to capture only one of him smiling in his sweater. But fortunately, 
One was all I needed. And that's the cover picture on the pattern. And I have to say, despite the spit up, the crying baby, and the looking ridiculous in public, it was worth the effort. Because I think it turned out really cute. The experience did teach me, however, that I will think first the next time I try to make a size this small for a pattern. Getting a decent photo of him in the sweater was a nightmare. Later, when my daughter's little oak sweater was done, we went out a fourth time and took some more pictures, but this time of the kids together with their matching sweaters. Having my daughter there to hold her baby brother made all the difference. That was way easier. So anyways, thankfully, in the end, the patterns and the accompanying pictures turned out exactly as I had hoped. Again, if you're interested in finding out the more specific and boring information behind each of these designs, such as gauge and sizing information, just visit our website at coastalknits.com kids, or look for the patterns on Ravelry.com. Hannah and I both are really excited about this new little collection, and we'd like to share it with all of you listening. So we're offering a special 25% off discount on all of the Coastal Kids pattern PDFs, just for the Never Not Knitting listeners. All you'll need to do is enter the coupon code NNKPODCAST in the checkout process, either on our Coastal Knits website or through Ravelry.com by June 15th. We hope that you enjoy these new designs. episode, I've talked a lot about knitting for children, so I thought it was only fitting that I pick a similarly themed book for this episode's book review. This week I'll be sharing the book Knitted Dinosaurs by Tina Barrett. Now this is a knitting book that contains patterns for 15 different types of little knitted dinosaur toys. All of the designs in here are very whimsical and creative, and most have contrasting colors and felt embellishments. I think that the designer of this book did a really good job making the dinosaurs look like they have different personalities. One of my favorites is the Diplodocus dinosaur, because he's a rather shy-looking dinosaur. I've noticed that the designer has kindly included a sewn pocket onto his body so that he can hide his head if he's feeling especially socially awkward that day, which I thought was a nice thing for her to do. And I also cannot help but be very amused by the Allosaurus. The designer did such a great job giving this little guy a very mischievous look. He's got these funky eyebrows that really make him look like he's up to no good. It's pretty great. Aside from these, all of the dinosaurs are really fun and imaginative, but those were just two of my favorites. And you know how I feel about knitted toys. So if you like knitted toys as much as I do, I think that you'll really enjoy this book. I think especially if you have a little boy at home. There are definitely some patterns in here that I would love to make for my son in the future. In fact, in my knitting fantasy life, I would like to make all of them. I think that these dinosaurs are something that I could see a little boy getting really excited about. So if you are interested in adding this book to your knitting library, I'll post a link to the book on Amazon so that you can check it out further. And also, you can enter to win this episode's book drawing to win a copy of your very own. Just leave a comment on my blog with your contact information. 
under the show notes for episode 62 by June 15th. I will randomly choose a commenter and I will announce the winner on my next episode. For this week, I am happy to say that I have a knitting story to share from my fellow podcaster, Jen, the host of the Down Cellar Studios podcast. Here is her personal knitting story entitled Play by Play Knitting. I most commonly knit on the train to and from work each day. I live in southeastern Massachusetts and I commute to Boston every day um, via our train system. And so it, it gives me a good 40 minutes of knitting every day, which I love. And so I'm used to people watching me and commenting about my knitting and, and wanting to talk to me about it, which I love because I enjoy sharing my knitting with other people. And I also like to encourage other people to knit when they tell me, oh, that looks really complicated. I could never do that. So I talk to people a lot about my knitting, but this one particular time just last week, I was on the train and it was probably about six in the morning and two women sat down across from me and literally almost immediately started talking about my knitting. And I had my headphones on and I wasn't really paying attention at first, but then it was pretty obvious that, that they were watching me. And so I looked up, but they were having a really great conversation on their own and they didn't necessarily look like they wanted to chat with me. And I'm not big on yelling across the train, especially so early in the morning. So I just kind of let, let them have at it. And I looked down and kept on knitting and I was listening to a knitting podcast at the time. And I kept on going. And then I realized probably two or three minutes later, that they were still talking about me and about my knitting. And so I sort of covertly shut off my iPod. I guess I figured if they had this much to say, then it was time for me to start listening. So I kept on knitting right along as if nothing had changed. And one of the ladies starts talking about how her grandmother was a knitter and she always fondly remembers listening or watching her grandmother knit while she was watching TV as a kid. And the other lady was saying that her mom was a knitter. And the first lady was talking about how she learned to cook and she learned to knit in home ec class at school. And she remembers that it was really hard, but she she did enjoy it, but she hadn't done it since. And so they're just going back and forth about all these different wonderful experiences with knitting in their own lives. So I sort of feel like I'm still listening to a knitting podcast, but really they're just commenting both on me and on their own experiences with knitting. But where it got really amusing is they turned from their own past experience with knitting to only focusing on what I was doing. And so the first lady looks up and says, you know, that's a really intricate pattern. That's really difficult to do. I was working on some cabled fingerless mitts at the time. And the second lady says, look, she's wrapping from one side around the needle, pushing it to the other wrapping around on the one side, pushing it to the other needle, and doing it again. And the second lady goes, yes, and she's using very tiny needles. And the second lady says, she's actually using two sets of needles at the same time. I've never seen that. That's amazing. And the other one rejoins with, I've never seen anyone do anything with needles that small. I didn't even know they made needles smaller than that. I've only ever seen someone work on an afghan. That's really detailed work, says the first one. And I'm sitting there, and it, it feels like they're doing play-by-play -play on a sports show. I feel like I'm listening to ESPN, 
and there's a tennis match, and they're just going volleying back and forth and back and forth, and they were just talking about every single stitch that I was doing, the technique, the tools that I was using, the approach that I was taking. It was really, really funny. And so finally, they they got up. It was their stop, and the train was pulling into the station, and one of them was standing um, holding on to the bar that was right in front of me. And so I pulled out my earbud, which of course was off, and I looked up, and she was very candidly looking at me, and she finally speaks up and says, that is beautiful. And, you know, I, I thanked her. I said, you know, re- you know, I really appreciated it. It's, um, I, I enjoy knitting on the train. And the other one jumps in with, you don't even know, but we've been talking about you the whole time. We've been enjoying your knitting the whole way and wondering what you've been working on. And, you know, I just played it off as if as if I hadn't been listening. I, I didn't intend to trick them, but there was no point at that point to reveal it. And, you know, I was just responding with, oh, yeah, I like to knit on the train. It's a lot of fun. If, you know, I've had some people comment before. And the lady was just about to get off, and she says, you know, you gave us such a peaceful morning. We really loved watching your process. Thank you so much. And she got off the train. And so it was really sweet. I mean, it was a really amusing experience for me. But in some way, it, it just gave them a great morning. They had a great chat. They brought up some wonderful memories, nurtured their friendship, maybe thought about whether or not knitting was something that they wanted to get into. And it was a really nice way for me to start my day. I love that knitting can bring us experiences like this, and I'm glad to have shared mine with you. Thank you so much, Jen, for contributing your story to this episode. If you listening also enjoyed hearing from Jen, then you should definitely check out her knitting podcast, Down Cellar Studios. I've listened to several episodes and have really enjoyed it. You can find the podcast on iTunes or at downcellarstudio.libson.com. I'll be providing a link to it in the show notes. Also, be sure to say hi to Jen on Ravelry, where she can be found as Boston Jen. Additionally, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who heard my story request on the last episode and who has submitted your stories to the podcast. I got some really good ones, and I'm excited about sharing them in future episodes. I still am, however, in need of more stories to share. So I'm extending my offer. If you have a personal knitting story that you would like to contribute, please email me your five-minute story recording, and I will send you a special thank you knitting gift through the mail. If you have any questions about how to record, please feel free to email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. I am happy to help, and I greatly appreciate your story contributions to the podcast. I think that personal knitting stories are what make this podcast truly special. As a reminder, you can find the show notes for this episode on my blog at nevernotknitting.com. I'm also over on Ravelry as Never Not Knitting. And if you'd like to get in touch for any reason, you can email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. That pretty much wraps up episode 62. Thank you again for listening today, and I hope that you'll join me back in June for episode 63. Until then. She won't even do the dishes. The house plants, they're all dead. Yeah, her needles are a-clickin' From morning until she goes to bed
take the time to brush her teeth. Let's not even talk about her hair. If it isn't about knitting, she just doesn't really care. She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. Stop rubbing again. She just won't stop the stitching. And the neighbors say it really is quite sad. I don't know about her. She used to be such a sweet girl, but now she doesn't knit. Nobody has clean laundry. No pants, no shirts, no underwear. But they have closets full of sweaters. And more socks than they could ever wear. Yard in the fridge, in the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry. It's even in the washer and dryer. That's why she can't do any laundry. I need some clothes. She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. I'm filing for she just won't stop her stitching And the neighbors say it's really getting bad She's taking pictures of socks again Oh, poor girl The house is burning up in flames Call 911 Her husband says Get up, let's go But she can't set down her project She says Just let me finish up this row Never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop her stitching, and well, she's losing all she had.